welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Silk. In this podcast, I will have conversations with thought leaders, CEOs, and managers from various organizations about leading mindfully. We will learn from experienced leaders how they implement mindful leadership in the day-to-day organizational culture, and we will gain tools and skills. So stay with us. Hello. Today, I will speak with David Noor. David is a senior leadership board advisor, educator, executive coach, and best-selling author. David is internationally recognized as the leading expert on application of strategic relationships in profitable growth, sustained innovation, and lasting change. He's the author of 11 books, including bestsellers Relationship Economics, Co-Create, and Curve Benders. David's unique insights have been featured in various prominent publications. He's a professor in Emory University's Business School and is the host of the popular Curve Benders podcast. Today, we will speak about the evolution of leadership, what are the key trends that the global pandemic has accelerated, and what are the new pillars of thinking and living differently. So, David, I'm really excited for our conversation. Thank you for joining me. Karen, it's good to be with you. Thank you. So, David, I really like to start by asking you, how do you see the key trends that the global pandemic accelerated in the workplaces and for leaders and managers? Yeah, I, I think it was a pivotal moment for many leaders, particularly if you maybe learn many of your leadership skills in the old school, and I'm, and I'm dating myself, right? So we had these preconceived notions. Uh, one example is we equated productivity with you showing up in an office. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic obviously blew that up. And then we, then we equated productivity with how quickly you responded to emails. And then we figured out that people had this live, these lives outside of work that they didn't bring to work. So I think in many ways, it's really evolved, hopefully, the way we think about how to lead. Hopefully, we think about uh, more about not just output of work, but outcomes and impact of work. Not as much about, you know, when people come in, I, again, when I, when I started working, you know, you had to be the first in the office and you work to be the last person to leave. And I think this next generation and, and increasingly most of us really want what I call work-life blending I like my wife. I like my dogs. I want to spend more time with them. I'm comfortable working from a home office. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna if you're gonna make me come in, for example, it better be for a, a compelling reason. And there's certainly several, but this is an example of how leadership has to adapt and has to evolve. So one is many of our perceptions, uh, preconceived notions about really quality of work. Number two is around talent. So think about it. We used to have job descriptions and we would try to fit talent in. Now I'm coaching a lot of leaders, find the talent and wrap a job around them. So a little thinking about talent differently and really how to communicate. I think our communication style, our communication approach, instead of you know long emails or memos or all those, I'm coaching leaders to really share insights more visually, much more succinct, really ensure 
that the signals you're sending are the signals that are being received. So those are just some of the ways that I think leaders have to adapt and evolve specifically from the global pandemic. Yes, I can agree with you. Actually, what you're saying that nowadays we are looking to show up fully right to the workplace, to bring out different parts and not only the functional aspect and to find the right balance for our professional and personal life and to and to be present in our every moment, right? It can be at home with our kids and wife and husband and with the, the professional life in the workplace. You're exactly right. And what many leaders are realizing is that there's this really interesting person in Karen who doesn't, you know, that she doesn't bring, you know, the fact that she paints or she does pottery or she's into adventure sports to work because she comes in and does her functional roles. And, and it goes to a deeper topic, Karen, which is, you know, I've, I've been a student of business relationships for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And when you say business relationships, many people think outside the company, right? Customers, vendors, investors, media, outside the organization. One of the most powerful, one of the most impactful opportunities are relationships inside the organization. McKinsey just published a paper that people who build friendships genuine friendships inside the company are less likely to leave because they they weather the storm and they weather the ups and downs that every job has. And yet, pre-pandemic, I don't think we invested enough in really getting to know the people, the colleagues that we work with, not just next to us, but in other functions and other parts of the organization. We would exchange emails with them all day, maybe mm-hmm. text message with them, but we didn't really know them. And I So think- I have a question for you. You say yeah. that... Workplaces are starting to understand that people have private lives, right? They have their hobbies, their passion, and they feel they don't bring them to the workplace. Why do you think it's essential for them to bring it to the workplace? What is the added value for the organization or for the person, the individuals? Yeah, what I was going to say is during the pandemic, we saw their dogs on videos, right? Or we saw their homes and we saw the pictures of them rafting or hiking or cooking, And what we didn't understand was that whole self. We didn't understand that entire person Mm pre-pandemic. The reason leaders want to get to know all of Karen, right? Not just what do you do, but what do you do when you're not working? What do you do on weekends? What do you do with your loved ones? Mm -hmm. Is that it increasingly helps you create a deeper connection, a more meaningful connection back to the organization. So one example is I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of leaders about there's this increasing trend of employees doing side hustles right? Mm -hmm. So I love to cook. I'm in a marketing job. So I do my marketing job during the day. And at nights, I have a little catering business and I cater parties or on weekends, I cater parties. I started asking a leader, if you know that about the person, why couldn't their side hustle be inside the company? Mm -hmm. Why couldn't they cater the next company party? Or why couldn't they cater the next company luncheon and give others a chance to see that there's a whole different side of this person that we've never met. We never knew. So all those opportunities create, again, a deeper connection to their colleagues and to the organization. I couldn't agree more with you. I think the ability to give opportunity for the employees to grow in the company, to bring different parts of themselves and then to feel fulfilled because maybe they're doing something now that they're not so passionate about it, but the passion is a little bit outside, but once they enable them to bring this aspect to the workplace, they want to stay there. You know, the guy who was the head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn, he was actually, a, he wasn't the head of mindfulness and compassion. He was a VP of customer success, I think, or customer relations. And he started bringing the meditation to the workplace. And 
during the road, he asked the many his managers to you know he started bringing meditation and people were jump, joining the meditation groups and at one point he went to the his manager and asked to tailor a new job for him head of mindfulness and compassion and this is amazing because this is actually what engaged him and make him stay in the workplace and bring his added value to the work and for the organization to grow with him you know so it's a growing parallel the individual growth and the organization growth right. And that's exactly right. And, and just for your audience, it's estimated that over a million knowledge workers left the workforce in the U.S. alone. And it's if you think about it, right, that's, that's right. So if you think about that talent pool leaving the force, leaving the job force, others really using the pandemic to figure out that they like their kids and their grandkids and they wanted to spend more time with them. And they're not interested in going back to the 60, 80 hour week you know, grinds that we grew up professionally doing. All of that combines into the talent agenda is, Karen, I believe is going to continue to be a, really a top priority for most leaders. Most leaders have figured out they cannot, they cannot get to their strategic priorities. They cannot accomplish the outcomes they're after with mediocre talent, with with so-so people. So if I really want exceptional talent, I have to change the way I lead to make this place, make this team, make this organization a more attractive place for not just for those that are here to stay, but then to be able to attract and retain other talent that we need to get to our goals. And this is all about adaptive leadership that has to understand the pandemic wasn't just a blip it's really changing the way we work, the way we think about work, the value, the benefit that we get from work. I just, I'm not interested in 80, 100 hour weeks anymore. I don't want to do that. So how do I make sure that work is more satisfying? So that's great. And you, I want to ask you another question. How do you see what's happening right now post-pandemic, right? The, you started with the great resignation and then there was the quiet quitting and then there's the mass layoff. How do you see this Thing going on and what's the impact? Yeah, in Curvebenders, I wrote an entire chapter on 15 forces that, Karen, we believe our research shows are going to continue to disrupt the way we work, the way we live, the way we play, and the way we give to others. Mm-hmm. So they're not necessarily all bad. I actually had some clients that did really well during the pandemic. We had, you know, their markets had fewer choices and fewer options, and they had more discretionary spend. So they spent they spend the money. So I believe these not just economic times, but every disruption is a potential headwind, tailwind, or turbulence. It depends on the company, depends on the sector. So right now, the technology sector is going certainly through some layoffs. But you know what? Those are still talented people. Those are still competent, capable people, and good talent doesn't stay on the sidelines very long, right? They're going to find the next thing. They're going to find other companies, other industries to go to. And guess what? Technology is going to come back and they're going to want to hire these people all over again and find and develop and nurture that talent. So I'm not as concerned about these big layoffs. They're big kind of headline newsmakers. But in terms of talent, we're hiring. I know several other clients that are hiring you're always, the great leaders are always looking for exceptional talent. They're always looking for talent that can plug in to different parts of the organization. So that talent agenda, again, I've had almost 100 executive conversations in the last three months. It is definitively in the top three, mm-hmm. you know, with supply chain and with 
you know, concerns over economic and, and geopolitical issues. But talent is going to continue to be a, a challenge. For the audience, what's critical is if you've been laid off or if you're thinking of changing jobs or even as a manager or leader, you're thinking of the next chapter, this is the time to upskill. This is the time to reskill. This is the time to really think about what do you need to unlearn so then you can relearn new skills, new knowledge, new changes in behaviors that make you that much more attractive to other employers. So two things I have to say. I really like the unlearn. I will come back to it. But, you know, how I see this phenomenon, I think it's actually the same. I was reflecting upon it and I said, okay, I don't see a difference because it starts with the great resignation. I see that individuals are looking for meaningfulness in the workplace, right? They don't want to work in, in every workplace. They, they don't feel fulfilled. And then there's the quiet feeling, talking about the right balance. You get, call it the right blend between the professional life and the personal life. So they're looking to create boundaries within the organization. This is my viewpoint. And then I say, okay, so how is the mass layoff resonate with it? And then I understood that, you know, as the coronavirus pandemic caused us all to pause and ask ourselves tough questions, I think it's also the left mass layoff uh, causing people to fine tune the path to find the right thing for them. And I, I really believe that it's part of the process. You know, it's like, as you said, you're not excited for me because it's a, it will pass. And it's, I, I see it as another cause to pause for talented people to pause and ask themselves, how do I want to blend my professional and personal life? Where is my really passion? Where do I want to invest my time? So I see it continue the process. And, you know, another thing I see here that I think a lot of people will be, will go on their own path to be entrepreneurs and organizations will change. I think it will be in hybrid workplaces that some, some of us will be full time, some of us uh, half time. I don't know. It's a new blend that we are going towards. How do you see it? You're exactly right. So, so if you think about it, if I'm driving and if I go down the wrong path, I make a course correction. Right. So I'm going to, you know, get back on the right path to get to where I'm going. Similarly, I think we're experiencing a lot of people are thinking through, as you, as you mentioned, I call it career correction. So, you know, again, we, we grew up watching our parents or we grew up watching, you know, other colleagues and we saw them kind of climb the ladder, the corporate ladder. I think increasingly we're seeing more of a corporate lattice. We're seeing more of an opportunity to go sideways or go try a different business. Or as you said, you know, I have a, a family member who runs his own business. And I've been thinking about running my own business for years, but I've never done it because I've had this really comfortable paycheck. Well, we've been smart with our money and I've saved enough. And I think I could be really good at going on my own and, and pursuing other opportunities. So I agree with you. I think increasingly talent, especially exceptional talent, is spending time on introspection. Maybe I want to go back to school and get an advanced degree. Maybe I want to you know, I want to go try something else. And I think they saw through the pandemic that they could be really productive without that physical structure of a, of a building or a company. They saw that they could be more creative and resourceful. They saw that they could do and try different things and had the safety net of this pandemic. So I agree with you. I think a lot of people are really looking at what are my assets? What are my skills? What are the things that I think I can do well? By the way, what makes me happy? What do I enjoy doing? I, I read, you're going to chuckle at this. I read a fascinating report by Gallup, the research organization that said the number one reason most 
under 35 years old people don't want to go back to an office. You're not going to believe this one. During the pandemic, they got a dog. They don't want to leave the dog at home. Amazing. Right? So, and, and, and again, old school leadership, well, go find doggy daycare, right? We, we got work to do. But you know what? That dog is more than just a pet. It's, it's a part of who they are. It's, it, it kind of is a, is a security. It's a comfort level. It, it helps their- It's mental. love. What do dogs do? Bring love, right? It, 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 it yeah. improves their mental health. It reduces their stress. It reduces, it, it, it centers them, right? They feel a sense of care and nurturing for this dog, right? So I think it would be short-sighted to dismiss it. I think it would be short-sighted to say, well, you know what? We got work to do. If you want to work here- Forget the dog. You got to come to work. I think it's an example of understanding what's happening, figuring out how to adapt. Listen, I'm, I'm a capitalist, unapologetically. We mm-hmm. still have a business to run. How do we make sure we do that with, as you said, the right mix of talent, the right mix of talent focused on the right kind of work that is fulfilling, that does make a difference, where they feel not just good, great about what they're doing. And I tell my kids all the time, there's no perfect job. There's no perfect company. There's no perfect team. There's no perfect boss. I haven't met one yet. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure out, and that's where we build the resilience. That's where we build the grit in our teams, in our individuals to weather ups and downs, to really take away more positive from a role and continue to help them learn and grow in that process versus, again, many ways we used to think about work pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, actually, there are companies that allow you to come with your dog to the workplace. So, you know, you, you need to work with it, the new things that emerge, right? You need to be uh, mindful to them. By the way, during your lunch, take, take the dogs for a walk and have a walking meeting. Or, I mean, there's, there's creative ways. Again, leaders and companies can adapt. It's just a very different, it's a changing, it's an evolving workforce. It's an evolving talent agenda that, if you want employees, if you want great people to kind of work for your organization, you need to understand it. You need to figure out the best way to adapt to it while you still run a business, while you still have results and outcomes and things you're responsible for delivering. Yes, it doesn't contradict each other. Once you will understand their intrinsic motivation, you can work with it and give them what they need in order to flourish. And the organization will also be creative and innovative. So it goes together, but it's a new paradigm. As you say, it's not a common theme. Anyway, I, I want to go forward because I love the idea of your new book, The Curve Benders. If you can talk about a little bit for our listeners about what does it mean to be a Curve Benders and how can I use it? Yeah. So I've, again, I've been a student of business relationships for 20 years. And several years ago, I, I wrote Relationship Economics, which was all about how to become more intentional in the relationships you choose to invest in. Then, as you were kind enough to mention in my intro, I wrote Co-Create, which is, you know, none of us have all the answers. How do we co-create a solution with a few, but really strategic relationships? Then I got to tell you, most of my books, I start with a question. And in full disclosure, I'll be 55 this next next month. And I've been thinking a lot about work for me in the next decade. So what will work, a lot of what we've been talking about, what will work look like? What do I love doing? What do I not want to do? And the more I thought about it, and this was actually pre-pandemic, the more I thought of the need to adapt and learn, learn faster, learn more relevant. I, I, don't, I don't need to go and get a four-year computer science degree. I just want to learn the code. And I found out that there's a lot of 
different places I can learn the code and a lot of them are free. And by the way, I can learn the basics within about 30 days. Mm-hmm. So the notion came that if you want to, and the, and the supposition is if you want to remain relevant, you're going to have to learn faster. You're going to have to learn more. You're going to have to reinvent yourself in many ways. In that reinvention, your biggest asset are a few relationships who know you, like you, have a vested interest in your success, and they want to help. They want to leave an imprint in not just what you accomplish, Karen, but who you become in 10 years, in 20 years, the, the manager, the leader, the human being. And if you think about that old professor, or maybe that, that first boss you had, or people that really changed the leader that you are, those are the relationships I call curve benders. So these are the people that change both our direction and ultimate destination. And in the book, I give the readers uh, very specific steps on how to identify, how to nurture those relationships. And I got to tell you a quick story. One of my own curve vendors asked me a a profound question. And he said, so you're going to tell people how to find these curve vendors, right? I'm like, yeah. And I was researching and writing the book. He said, you know what? I think a more important question would be, how do we all become as leaders, curve benders in the lives of others? If you think about the pandemic, we didn't focus on more relationships. We actually spent time with fewer relationships, but it was the ones we liked and trusted and wanted to spend time with. And increasingly, we're telling people what to do and how to do it. I'm not sure we're investing in who they become, in the manager, in the leader, in the human being we want them to become 10, 20 years from now. So that's who your curve benders are. And it's a fascinating topic, I think, to read about and to really think about. So given it as an example, which was your curve bender? Sure. So there's been, you know, three immediately come to come to mind. One was a former CEO. I was president of a company at 32. And at 32, yeah, you think you're intelligent and, and you've you've got a good education, mm-hmm. and, but you you just, you haven't lived enough. You haven't you know, I tell my kids I, I didn't paint on the gray hair, right? So you just haven't been around long enough. And Bruce uh, was a fantastic, not just a mentor, not just a coach, but you know, he was this, he was the CEO of our company and he genuinely took me under his wings to teach me, to show me. And that's what they do. They demonstrate, they kind of, you know, show you the way, if you will, like a great Sherpa. So they're more than a coach. They're more than a guide. And funny enough, I, I asked a lot of executives about, you know, attributes of curve benders in their lives. And Karen, across, again, over 100 executive interviews, the single most consistent answer was they saw the best version of me, even when I couldn't see it myself. Yes. So Bruce saw the president at that time that I could become, the president that I could be, I, you know, combine my education and tenacity and intellect and whatever to really become this this much better leader. Another one, a guy named Marshall Goldsmith. Marshall is the number one executive coach in the world. He was kind enough to reach out several years ago. He created something called the, the MG100 program and invited me to join that group. And I've learned a ton over the years from Marshall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another gentleman, Alan Weiss, I, I was in consulting before I left to start my own firm 20 years ago, I thought I knew consulting. You know, time with Alan has dramatically changed my lens, my perception on not just how to consult, but how to be an advisor, how to be a coach, how to really work with senior executives and boards. So these are 
three examples, three individuals that, again, didn't just provide a skill or a knowledge or didn't just coach and mentor. They've shaped in many ways the leader that I believe I've become. And by the way, that's also a, it's never done, right? We, we, we ideally would continue to learn. Work in process. Grow, grow and evolve. And you're, the way you think, the way you approach your communication, your problem solving, your decision making, all has to evolve. And these relationships come into our lives that continue to mold and continue to shape. Again, I think the leader we continue to become. Amazing. So, you know, there's a saying goes that you need only one person to believe in you in order to grow, right? So it's kind of the traits that these group vendors have from your stories. They really believed in you and saw who you are when you couldn't see who you are. So I think it's crucial. What came to my mind with micro vendors, I also have a lot, but one of them was the CEO of the company that I conducted my PhD there. I conducted a case study in this company for two years. So I actually learned in the case study how to lead mindfully. How he gave me an example by doing it and opening the door for me to learn. And, you know, I think it's uh, created a leap in my career to bring this new wisdom and knowledge to the world. So I think this is right. This is a kind of a curve bender. You're, you're, you're exactly right. And, and your comment, they showed me, right? Curve benders don't just tell, they demonstrate. They do it naturally themselves. And when we observe them doing it, it becomes so attractive that we want to adapt. We want to adopt that approach, that style. Uh, and, and we see this in our, in our best leaders, that you see someone, again, solve a problem or deal with a difficult situation. And you're like, when I'm in that position, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to behave. By the way, there's also negative directions. There's negative behaviors that we see and I actually call those fender benders because you you know you don't want to go that direction. You don't want to be that jerk of a boss. You don't want to be that person that always you know first thing they do as soon as they come in a company is cut you know everybody out. You don't want you, you don't want some of those bad behaviors to impact you and to influence the way you think, the way you lead, the way you engage and influence others. So actually, they do influence you by understanding what you don't want to do. And I also have a few of this come to my mind. So this is also a good way to learn, right? That's exactly right. We learn yeah. also what we don't want to do. And you know, another question I have regarding the curve benders, when I started listening, sorry, I'm listening to your book in audio <laughs> on my way. So I was thinking about not only that the curve bender is not only someone who shows us by example, but also open doors for us, helps us to go to the next, to have our leap in our career. What do you say about it? Did I get it right? You're exactly right. So in the seven steps, I talk about, you know, you have to have a strong personal foundation and a professional commitment, but I also talk about a catalyst. So something happens in our lives. Either we we feel like we've reached a ceiling or we aspire to get to a, a new place. I'm a director today, I want to become a vice president, or I'm a vice president, I want to become a division president, right? There's there's an aspiration that's very innate in most of us that we want something not just bigger, but better or different, right? And then we immerse ourselves. I talk about immersive inquiry. So jumping in and really learning, you know, a lot of people, you brought up entrepreneurs, want to be entrepreneurs. They have no idea what it takes. They have no idea, you know, the ups and downs. And again, it, it's amazing. You run into friends and they tell you, it's amazing what an overnight success you've become. And I'm like, it's taken 20 years, right? So 
Most people love the idea of being an entrepreneur. They don't realize what it takes. So if you immerse yourself and I talk about, go find 10, 15, 20 entrepreneurs and ask them, what frustrates you? What takes you too long? What, you know, what can you do now that you couldn't do before and vice versa? So really immerse yourself in understanding what, what is it that you're seeking. And then the next step is exactly right. It's a few relationships that will accelerate. Karen, if you throw enough time, effort, money at any goal, you'll eventually get there. One of the incredible values of our relationships is that they accelerate our ability to get there. And by opening doors, you're exactly right. Curve vendors, you know, once they see the commitment that you have towards this, I call it your journey from now to next, when they see that true commitment, when they see that this isn't just a passing fad and you really are committed to this, yeah, not only they give of themselves, but they also open doors and they introduce you to others who might be in that role or researching that role or have ideas and examples and best practices in that role. And, and that accelerates your ability to get to not just the knowledge, not just the place, but the relationships you need to really help you understand and help you get there and help you get chances that you wouldn't often have otherwise. Yes. So, you know, we, we, before we need to wrap up, because we continue for hours, it's really interesting. What our listeners can do differently in order to find their curve vendors and in order to be as leaders, curve vendors for other people and help them. Sure. So number one, read the book. <laughs> Just it might give you a roadmap on how to sure. think about how to think about these differently. Number two, think about it a second. We often make to-do lists, right? Especially, you know, whether it's a New Year's resolution or our weekly calendars or whatever it is, here's all the things I want to do. We seldom make relationship lists. So you brought up the pandemic. At the onset of the pandemic, Karen, I sat down and I made a list of my top 100 business relationships. And I reached out to them and I said, just checking in. How you doing? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? What's going well for you? Where are you struggling? What can I do to help? I didn't ask for anything. I didn't try to sell them anything. I used this antiquated device called the telephone where you actually pick up the phone and dial a number and you get them. <laughs> I love it. Right? And, and, you, and their voice comes on at the other end. It's fabulous. So I called them and we had these great conversations. And early on, I found myself connecting people I call them seekers and solvers, right? This person needed PPE equipment. This person had extra. I, I'm not in that business, but I just got them together. This person, unfortunately, had you know a lot of people in travel, lost their jobs. Well, you know what? There are people in manufacturing that were looking for help. So I connected people. And then it kind of turned around. And by that, I mean, you know, 19, 20, 21 were really good years for our business because I invested in those relationships very early on. So if you want to identify curve benders in your life, you have to start by leading with relationships. Mm -hmm. The results, you know, we all have goals. We all have things we got to accomplish. Those will come if you lead with the relationships first. If you invest in those, you can't invest in everybody equally. But if you invest in a few deep, meaningful relationships, it's and and you're open, you're candid with them of here's where I want to go, here's what I want to do. We're we're so afraid of showing our cards. We're so afraid of being vulnerable mm-hmm. that we hold back and we don't share our aspirations. We don't share our dreams. We don't tell people that I want to be president of this division one day. Why not? 
Because those few relationships that demonstrate a vested interest in your success want to help you, are going to help you. They don't know how to help you. They don't know what it is that you're after. So you need to think about relationships more intentionally, business relationships more strategically, and really start thinking about them as an investment. How do I invest in these relationships? How do I nurture these relationships consistently? How do I not do dumb things to damage or destroy my relationships? Those will all help you identify a few. I cannot reiterate this. Curve benders aren't everybody. It's a few people that don't have an agenda. They're not political. They're not trying to stab you in the back and get your promotion. These are the people that want to see you succeed. They want to see you do great things and they're willing to help you. So I really like it. And if I can summarize what I heard, I think what you're saying, it's really, first of all, we need to be courageous enough to show up and really say what we want and what our passion is. And, you know, you can say to a lot of people and at the end of the day, there maybe there will be only a few vendors, but you will resonate it outside and then something can happen because if you stay with it in your own mind, nothing will happen. So you also need to be active in this, in creating this uh, curve benders. Another thing is really about connection. At the end of the day, we are human beings coming to the workplace. We are. We need to connect in a deeper level. And once we're connecting a deeper level, we can do everything together and we can help each other. Next thing that I heard is being as a servant. As you said, I came and really be being authentic and ask them how they're feeling and learn from them. You know, you also talked about to unlearn. I really liked it. Be able to say, okay, I don't know what the answers. I know I'm also struggling right now. How are you handling this situation? And to learn from each other because there's a wisdom outside of us, right? So when we are not leading from ego, but from the ecosystem, a lot of things can emerge in much more innovative and creative solution, right? You're exactly right. And the combination of that vulnerability, the combination of the proactiveness, the combination of authenticity. Those are the things that really endear us to others. Those are the things that, and I want to reiterate for your audience, for your listeners, you cannot do this with everybody. The average individual can proactively manage about 100 to 150 relationships. So the million dollar question becomes, which ones? Mm -hmm. How do you know? And if you can't invest in everybody equally, how will you then prioritize which relationships you invest in? That only you can answer. And I would submit... It's based on your aspirations. It's based on that journey from now to next. Where are you going? How do you believe you're going to get there? What are the relationships that are most relevant to both you helping them, supporting them, loving and pouring support into them? So when they want to reciprocate, when they want to help you, they're helping you in the right direction. They're helping you in the right journey that you want to be on. Amazing, David. It was such an interesting conversation. Thank you for your time. I believe people will want to reach out for you. Where can they find you? Sure. So the easiest is our website, just NOR, N-O-U-R, NORgroup.com. You can also just Google my name, David NOR, and you'll find all kinds of videos and articles and columns and podcasts and all kinds of great interviews. Great, David. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.